Five to left corner to Aguila. Again to the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Rebound. Another shot. They score! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. Okay, we are underway on this Wednesday, May 31st. Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk and welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit Calgary Lock and Safe. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media along with you. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. What's up, Wes? We missed you on Tuesday. Yeah, I missed you guys. We had a, a solid show. Solid uh, chat with Milan Lucic. We'll uh, get into that a little bit later this hour. Uh, and on Tuesday's show, we were pretty sure that Brad Tree Living was going to be the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs in short order. Then later on Tuesday night, report came out that it was going to happen. And here we are on Wednesday, May 31st. He is now officially the head coach, sorry, officially the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just over nine years after he became general manager of the Calgary Flames in late April of 2014. 18th general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm curious how you're feeling, Flames fans, about Tree going from the Flames to the Maple Leafs, uh, 960-960. If you're listening live on Sportsnet 960, the fan would love to hear from you on the text line how you're feeling about Brad now, the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm happy for him. Just from a, a personal perspective, I've always appreciated how, not just how he treated me or how he treated colleagues at the Dome, but just intera- being able to interact down there and see how he treated his closest co-workers, his assistant general managers and the people in hockey ops, but the way that he treated everybody in the organization, his media relations staff that he worked with, or people in the front office, or people in the ticket office, or you know Sean O'Brien and team services, or people on the flights, just everybody that he came in contact with. I always appreciated the classiness of which Brad Tree Living went about his business. I really did. I personally always appreciated the way that he treated me, so I'm just happy for him that he's landed on his feet. I'm not surprised that A, he's in Toronto, or B, he's landed on his feet. And I always appreciated how he gave us things to talk about because in his nine years, it was rarely dull covering the Calgary Flames. When when things were good, there were big moves to talk about. When things were bad, there were big moves to talk about. The draft was always, uh, hey, what's Brad going to do here? Um, He took some big swings in nine years at the helm of the Calgary Flames and always gave fans something to buzz about, whether they liked it, whether you liked it, or didn't like it, there was always something to be talked about. And so I appreciate that he rarely kept the bat on his shoulder in the nine years as general manager. Some hits, some misses, some fouls, some home runs, absolutely. But though that's that's kind of how I'm feeling about Brad Trilliving taking over in Toronto. I'm happy for him, and I appreciated the nine years that he was here on a, on a personal basis. Yeah, I go back to April 17th when his departure, the the parting of ways, as it was termed, was announced. Like there, there was a real bummed out feeling around the Saddledome yeah. that day. That there was some of the staff members with the Flames were were gutted 
by the news that that Brad Trillivan wouldn't be back. And I think that speaks to the high regard that they hold him in. I, I know in talking to people who have worked with him over the years, I don't think anyone is anything but over the moon for Brad today to land in, in Toronto. And, and so that's the first part of it. I'll, I'll echo what you said. He was a class act in every dealing I ever had with him. I, I mentioned on the show and, and on Twitter a month and a half ago, the text message that I got from him the day that my dad passed. He He's a guy who really, I think, left a positive impression on, yep. on anyone he worked with here in Calgary, anyone that he not only worked with as a staff member for the Flames, but crossed paths with. I'm sure if you're listening right now and you bumped into him at a restaurant or at the gas station, he was nothing but a, a class act. I, I really think that's how he'll be remembered in terms of the type of character he was here in Calgary. And you mentioned his willingness to to swing for the fences. He was always in the rumors, right? They, they were right in there on Jack Eichel, and we yep. know that to be true. They were right in there on Mark Stone, and we know that to be true. Not only did he connect on some big swings in terms of trades that end up getting faxed into the league office, but he was in the mix on everything. And, and you know, I wrote something today, and I was kind of joking around as I led into it, like, let's hope that this works out better than the last time a Flames general manager left for Toronto. Like Craig Conroy might just want to block his number for a couple months because yeah, as a, a, a cliff, child, cliff, right? yeah, as a child of the Doug Gilmore generation, the the last uh, general manager departure phoning up his old understudy, it didn't it didn't go great. Was that here. Cliff Fletcher to Doug Risebrow? It sure was. Yeah, yeah that one. Strike that one from the record. Yeah, you know, Gdynyuk and um, Manderville never never really panned out the way the Flames were hoping. Yeah, Hud Gilmore, you know what? Never mind. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, shall we move on? Let's move on. Uh, not not completely, though, because I do want to, and, and get your texts in. We'll read them here in the next little bit at 960-960 if you're listening live with us here. I, I do want to look back at Brad's nine years at the helm of Calgary. And we've done this before. We we did this on the day that it was announced that he was stepping down or stepping away and the two sides were parting ways. But what were his strengths? What were the, the things that you can appreciate about the way, even if he was a jerk? He wasn't, but like, let's take the, the hey, this is a really good guy stuff out of it. Just from a more objective standpoint, the things that he did well as general manager over nine seasons. Because I'll just... I can bounce one off you if you want. You can bounce them off me. But I, I do. The, the first thing is I was I always appreciated the willingness to to make big moves. And there were, I don't know, three or four like significant moves made that kind of went in the holy category, whether it was the most recent one. And I know that year one of the Florida trade is not a banner one for the Flames. There were two Dougie Hamilton trades involved there. Um, those would probably be the three biggest ones. And, and then the Toffoli one was pretty significant when they brought him in on Valentine's Day of 2022. So, I, and I know there was, you know, the Zucker one didn't quite come to pass. There were a couple of other ones that didn't quite end up uh, getting over the finish line. But I do think there's something to be said about swinging and making contact. And maybe it's a straight line out to third and, and nothing comes of it. But I don't know. 
if I'm a fan, I'd, I'd rather my GM take a lot of swings as opposed to keep the bat on the shoulder too often. Yeah, one of the things that I was sort of thinking about as I was writing about it earlier today and then preparing for this conversation, like, I feel like everyone in, in the Flames locker room always felt like Brad had their back. And and part of that goes to what you're saying in the sense of some of the big swings he would take to show faith in the team and, you know, into Foley's case to reward the team for the type of season they were having. Even in the case of, of last summer with the Kachuk trade, I, I know it was partially coming from ownership that you want that to be a win now trade, but, but he had the players backs there and, and he, he's tried to do right by all of them. And Matthew being one of them, you know, I think he tried to do right by set by Sam Bennett, by finally trading him away. And, and so I guess I, I'm kind of I, I'm kind of going two directions with that in the sense of I think that the team always felt like, hey, if we put ourselves in a position, we we can count on this guy to back us up. But I also think on an individual level, one of his strengths was the way that that group sort of universally felt like he had their backs yeah. always. Yep. I uh, I like the um I like the work that he did on a lot of the internal contracts, guys that he had his team strong, control on. It, honestly, for me, his the strongest part of his resume coming from Calgary is exactly what you're talking about. And I, I, I it's less about the Uyghur and Huberto contracts because those guys were pending unrestricted free agents. It's more the it's more the work that he's done on some of the. RFA contracts that he's had. And I take a look at, for instance, the Rasmus Anderson number, the Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin numbers. Um, the, the, there was a couple of, you know, I, the, the Andrew Mangiapane one, um, the, the first, the, not this past one, but the one before I thought was some solid work. Dylan Dubé's on a really nice number right now. So the work that he has done internally with guys that are coming up on deals and who are still under team control, uh, I, I he's always done a good job of keeping those numbers team friendly and being allowed to or or being allowing the Flames rather to use those contracts and help them with their cap management and help them go and chase elsewhere. And I, there, there have been some missteps in other contracts, but those specific ones, the ones where there's team control has been, I think his strongest suit or one of his strongest suits in the nine years he spent at the helm. Uh, I could not agree with that more. The contracts specifically, I think of the contracts that Elias Lindholm and Rasmus Anderson are on as two of the best examples of the work that he has done locking up, important pieces or soon to be important pieces to quite frankly, team friendly deals. Yeah. And he has his track record in signing the guys on the payroll already has been stronger for sure than signing unrestricted free agents. Yeah. The work that he has done, I'm trying to think of, of contracts that he signed internally that you kind of look back on and say, geez, I don't know that they should have done that. There's some of those on July 1st or whatever. Absolutely. Whatever day, July 2nd in James Neal's case or whatever day of free agency it happened to be. But once he's had guys on the roster at the Saddledome, he's done 
or or he did, I'm sorry, a, a really nice job of getting them extended at at pretty reasonable rates. Because both Hannafin and Lindholm came over as unsigned players. They were both restricted free agents. They came over to Calgary and both have been absolute home run contracts. The Rasmus Anderson contract has been a steal pretty much from day one almost. It's looked really good. Dylan Dubé's number at 2.3 has looked good pretty much the entire way through. Sam Bennett's number looked pretty solid. Uh, So there's just been a lot of those type deals where... They are, un- and, and you have more leverage. I, I get that. There's more leverage when players are a restricted free agent. The team has got way more of that. Um, but I think he's done a, a generally pretty good job in that regard. I, I think we're probably at some point, at least based on the way he trended in the second half of the season and, and the type of player that I think he can be for a, a long stretch in Calgary, I think you you might say the same eventually about Mackenzie Weaker's deal. I think that we could look at that as being, it's never going to be looked at as home run value, but I think you could eventually look back on that as a really tidy bit of business as well. Um, and, and the last area that I'd point to in on, under the pro column or the, the really good work column for Brad True Living here now is the new general manager of the Maple Leafs. I, I think that his group identified talent really well. Uh, I, they They drafted much better than the prior regimes, Daryl Sutter's regime, Jay Feaster's regime. They had some hits in there for sure. TJ Brody and, and Johnny Gaudreau both uh, were under prior regimes. It was Daryl's regime that found Brody. It was uh, Jay's regime that drafted Gaudreau in 2011. But 2011 or 2010? Um, I think it might have been 2010. No, it was 2011. It was pretty 2011 sure it was 11, sure. yeah. It was 2011 for sure. Um and I even outside of the draft, I mean, I take a look at second round picks like Shillington and Anderson and and uh, you had some nice Ledube and then later round hits that they've been able to turn into guys who are pushing for NHL jobs or in NHL jobs, Majapani and Phillips and so on and so forth. But I also the, the group under Brad did a good job of identifying talent elsewhere, whether it was Garnet Hathaway or Josh Juris or. Walker Dewar, they've, they've done a nice job in finding some. Uh, Glenn Godden's another really good example. And not all of them are still with the organization, I, I grant you that. But, you know, those are four guys right there that they identified that weren't drafted and they were able to bring into the organization and turn into NHLers, whether they're NHLers for the rest of their life or NHLers for a period of time. All four of those guys that I mentioned have all played NHL games. And so that that was another area that I thought that uh, Brad and his group was strong in during his time here. Yeah, and I, I, I think this is going to dovetail nicely with that. And, and so I'll add that I think he did a really nice job of building his own team at the Saddledome, whether that was with the people that he brought in as staff members or sort of the input or the role that he put existing staff members in. I, I think the fact now that Craig Conroy is general manager in Calgary, the, the fact that Brad Pascal was seriously considered, the fact that Ryan Huska and Mitch Love are two of the top coaching candidates, perhaps not only in Calgary, but are going to get some looks elsewhere around the league. I, I just think of the way he elevated Chris Snow's role, the the faith that he put in Chris and the data that he was able to provide and the input that he took from that. I, I think of the way that he's trusted Jordan Sigalette in terms of going and identifying 
goalies, whether it was Dustin Wolf as a late round steal in the draft, whether it was Dan Vladar as a potential trade target. I think the way that Brad had built the staff at the Saddledome and the way that he'd sort of trusted in them, I think that has a lot to do with some of the talent they have been able to scare up. And then let's let's move to the other side of it and and some of the areas that maybe weren't as strong during his time here. It's Brad Treliving now as the new general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, some of the mistakes or, or areas that he can learn from now in his second gig as a GM in the NHL. First thing that comes to mind, too many coaches. And, and not all of that was just on his shoulders, but too many coaches. There were too many, there were too many guys that were only here for a season or two. Uh, I know he inherited Bob Hartley, and I thought that was the right call. But in hindsight, Glenn Gullitson, I, I quite liked and appreciated, but that didn't work out. Bill Peters, we know how that ended. The Jeff Ward decision probably wasn't the right call. And we know that Daryl Sutter had some successes and then and then it went off the rails pretty quickly. There were just too many coaches in his tenure here. And and part of that is out of his control, but part of that does lay at his feet and, and some of his choices as well. I, I had several chats with my colleagues in Toronto today. And one of the storylines that is immediately emerging there, as you would expect, is, well, what does this mean to Sheldon Keefe? And... What I was telling them, and not like I have any insight into what Brad is thinking about the coach of the Maple Leafs, but what I was saying to them is I think this is good news for Sheldon. I think one of the things that Brad probably learned in, in Calgary is is not that he learned the value of having a good coach, but he, he's gone through some, and he's gone through too many, as you said. And if he has a good coach there, and a lot of people think he does, I could see him sticking with that guy. The, yeah. the one sort of asterisk that I, I wondered is if, you know, we're going to find out right away how highly he thought of Ryan Huska and or Mitch Love. Because if you start to hear their names thrown about as potential options in Toronto, that's going to be Brad identifying a guy that he thought was a rising star in the Flames organization and trying to take him to the Maple Leafs with him. But my first blush reaction to this news is that it's good news for Sheldon Keith. Yeah. And, and you're right. He, I think you could argue that he never found the coach in Calgary. There was, there was never that long-term fit. Yep. It, I mean, to go through that many in nine seasons is evidence of that right away. And so I, I'm curious what he does with Sheldon Keefe. I, I'm curious if he decides to go another direction, what direction that is. But that's one of the faults, absolutely, you can find in his Flames tenure is the fact that in five swings and, and inheriting one of those, he never really did find that long-term fit. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to double back, too, because a texter reminded me that don't forget about the contracts that Brad signed for Sean Monahan, the first deal that he signed him to, um, Johnny Gaudreau's, First deal, first big deal. Like those were both home run contracts. Absolutely. Monahan at what was he at six point three seven five, and Johnny at six point seven five. They got incredible value on those two deals. So those I, were strong contracts. As was Mark Giordano's contract that he ended up getting signed to. All three of those really good value too. So I just wanted to double back on that. I'm I'm laughing right now because I I'll share a Wes Gilbertson as an idiot story. So. Johnny's holding out in training camp of what year would that have been? 
2018, I believe. And, and so no, that's not right. It, it 20, was later. It was later than that. Twenty sixteen, and so that we're we're coming up to the end of training camp. Uh, basically, the start of the season is two or three days away, and the Flames. It might have been Nicholas Grossman. The Flames had someone kicking around uh, on a PTO that it looked like they were on the verge of signing, and I was about to go to a family Thanksgiving dinner. It was coming up a few hours later. And so 2016, by the way. Okay. And so I, I didn't do this often, but I was just, and Brad is such a family first guy. I sent Brad a text and I said, Brad, listen, I got a, a Thanksgiving dinner with my family today. They'll kill me if I'm stuck working. Would you just tell me like, should I, should I have something on my radar thinking, well, they're about to sign Nick, Nick Grossman. Grossman and uh, Brad, being a, a nice guy as he was, he said, well, you might want to tell your family you, you'll be a little bit late for dinner. And shortly thereafter, news dropped that Johnny Gaudreau had been extended. So I was all over that one. I, yeah, I was, I was all, all around it. I was napping when, I, Johnny, he, uh, when Johnny announced that he was coming back. I was asleep, so I woke up about 12 minutes afterwards. I was like, oh, Johnny signed. Brad, Brad did make fun of me about that on several occasions, and I, I did deserve it. Good story. Um, I did not always love the UFA work. The, it got better. Yeah, there were some, there were more. I After James Neal, I think, that's when things changed. But Neal, I hate, like, I, I love Troy Brower. Like, he's an awesome guy. But I think that contract did not age very well. It got bought out. They basically, they, they had to get very creative to get Neal out of here. Uh, and while they won that trade, I believe, and they they figured it out and got they made it better. It was still a really poor signing to begin with. So Neil Brower, Raymond, those were those were three that ended up getting bought out. It was not. I didn't mind some of it. Like you, Coleman's been fine, and Tanev's been good. Um, Frolik was strong. Ryan was pretty good value contract, but there were some. There were some misses there, and especially in the, the first five years or so, there were some misses with Brad as, as the UFA guy going in on July 1st and trying to make that splash. Those were, those were some areas that didn't always end up so good. Yeah, and no one wants to hear me just agree with you, so I'm just going to add on top yeah. of this. And, and something that we talked about in the context of, of hoping that Craig Conroy will, will handle it a little bit differently is sort of the the need or the want to always sort of top the roster up to the maximum with veterans through free agency. And, you know, I, I'm not sure that Brad did a great job during his tenure in Calgary of leaving opportunity for the young guys, whether it was, you know, I've referenced the signing of, of Brett Ritchie on sort of the eve of training camp this year, as an example, there's been, you know, even, Nick Grossman, quite frankly, is an example of that one more. more and, and I don't remember who was sort of waiting in the wings at that point. But on top of of some groaner contracts on the first day of free agency, and you mentioned Tanev, I, I would even say Jacob Markstrom as examples of, of deals that have, for the most part, worked out lately. There's still been some that kind of end up blocking the spot of a young player. And, and that would be one of my yeah, quibbles fair. with Brad's work as the Flames GM. There was not there was not always, I think it's a good way of putting it. There was not always 
like an accessible spot there for a young guy. And that's not to say they didn't let a young player blow their, you know, blow the doors off in training camp and clearly make the team. Like, I don't know if there was a spot open for Matthew Kachuk, and yet in 2016 he came in and earned himself a spot on the roster right. because he was that good. But sometimes training camp isn't the only thing, right? Like, I think now that we look back, and I think the coach had a part to play in this as well, but as we look back, Jacob Pelche probably could have been in the NHL all year long. I don't think I don't think anything changed so dramatically from September, October to January that you're like, well, no, he's clearly, now he's ready, but there was no spot open. He didn't have a great camp, and I get you don't want to gift things to young players. I fully understand that, but... Sometimes there's a, a threshold or a balance between having a spot open and somebody blocking a spot. And and so that that to me I think is a really fair a fair comment that young players didn't always have the most accessible path to yeah. playing in the NHL. Like could here. they have done without Joachim Nordstrom a few years ago? Yeah. Was, as a sort of Or Josh Levo. Yeah, as a depth addition that I I think sort of turned out to be a meh across the board uh, that would be my sort of secondary quibble on, on his free agent record is, is there were there were some depth additions that i i think potentially not blocked a young player but just didn't send the right message to some of the guys knocking on the door and finally i i do think it's important to point out that yes they the the Weeks leading up to Johnny Gaudreau leaving, I don't think there was anything else the Flames could have done. And the scenario that led to Matthew Kachuk telling them that he's not going to stay and is not going to sign long-term, those things somewhat out of their immediate control. But summer, summer, fall 2019, have they gotten creative and made the cap room work? I'm very confident they could have had Kachuk on a six-year deal. I don't think they could have gone higher than six, but I think a a six-year deal they could have gotten done. And in hindsight, they should have because he'd still be here right now. He'd have two years left on his deal, and you'd be feeling a whole lot better, I think, about him returning potentially. And if he doesn't, you still got six years out of it, right? And You don't have to scramble to make a blockbuster trade in July. So I think that's fair, and I know it's hindsight, but yeah, I think that was a mistake. Signing Matthew to just the three-year deal and giving him that huge QO number going into his final year of restricted free agency, yeah, that was a mistake. And not so I will I will take this one to the grave that not signing Johnny Gaudreau in the summer-fall of 2021, they could have, they were close, it didn't happen. And that's a, that was a big-time mistake as well because they would have had him for significantly cheaper in the summer of 2021. I know for a fact they were close. It was like they, they were go, and then it stopped. And then Johnny said, I'm going to focus on the season and obviously had 115 points and, and earned himself the deal that he's got in Columbus. So while I don't think there was any fault in July and June of 2022, I think had they signed him to a long-term extension, which he was open to the prior offseason. Again, some of this stuff 
gets avoided. So I do think those are missteps. I do think it's fair to to be critical there. And and I think behind closed doors, Tree would probably say the same thing, that in hindsight he might have done both of those situations differently. Well, and doesn't some of that trace back to what we were talking about with the free agency? Like this was a this was a team that nudged itself so close to the salary cap and and good on ownership for being willing to spend to that amount. But Brad did handcuff himself in terms of the dollars he could allot sometimes because in part of the work in free agency. And so while much of it is what you're talking about in, in terms of approach, I think he left himself in a tough spot there sometimes as yep. well. Yep. And, and it's too bad because was Johnny coming off the best season of his career? In the 56-game bubble campaign? No, by no means. It was a frustrating year for every single human being involved, even indirectly with the Flyers. It was the worst year ever. It just made this year look like paradise. But that would have been a really good time to pounce. And I thought that, you know, I know a lot of people, oh, you can't sign him now, you can't sign him now. I, I just remember in September 2021 when things were close with the Flames and Johnny, I was like, this is the right time to do it. Because right. this guy is... I, I still think there's more there. Didn't happen. You know, I I understood at the time a little bit more the three-year Kachuk deal because with the cap as it was, and they had just won the Western Conference the year before, yeah. like, okay, we're expecting to be at this level for a little while. That one's a little easier to pick apart in hindsight because yeah. of the way it turned out. Agree. So, there you go. Let me just add one. You asked me to sort of think of, of yeah, strengths and weaknesses. Absolutely. And there's one more that I came up with. And and this is a lesson that I believe Brad has learned. I, I don't think there will be a repeat of this in Toronto. But there were two instances in Calgary that I, I thought he made a decision sort of born out of frustration. And those two instances are the arbitration with Brett Kulak, where he then rushed to trade Brett to Montreal. Yep. Did not get much back for him. And we've seen the player that Brett Kulak had, has developed into in terms of a guy who can be a regular on an NHL blue line. And so that's one that, that I know Brad was steamed about the player electing for arbitration, the money he was asking for, all that stuff. I thought that was a decision born out of frustration that you would not look back on very kindly. I know the second one you're going to mention. Adam Fox. Yeah. I, I'm not sure there was a... And, and maybe it took Adam Fox to get that deal done. And, and obviously, Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin are such important pieces here in Calgary that 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 is viewed as as a good trade and yet I'll always wonder if there was an appropriate sort of cooling off after Brad learned that Adam Fox wasn't willing to sign in Calgary and whether you could have leveraged that asset differently agreed I think both are fair and there's the I don't know if this one was so much in the frustration category but Paul Byron still still would have looked good here. That one just seemed to me to be a, a little bit of a marking of territory between coach and GM. Yeah. Might be a good way of putting it. Yeah. But but I that's always, I always liked Bizey. The other the other move and 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 it's probably sort of a moot point uh and may have been all along but I, I never fully understood the 
the fear of what Marcus Granlin's arbitration case might look like and then the rush to trade him midway through that season. I don't think it's one that you look back on sort of any which way and think, oh, geez, that that did not change the course of the franchise in any way. Yeah. But as you kind of comb through his moves, as people in Toronto will be doing and as we'd be doing if the shoe was on the other foot, that's another one that might raise a few eyebrows. Let's read some texts at 960-960. This says, uh, because there's been lots of them, uh, this one has a lot of words in it, so there's three different ones. Um, so I want to just read the right one. Uh, I'll read this part of it. It says, uh, are we neglecting to realize that under his tenure, he was unable to keep three major assets, hired a coach he himself couldn't control, then probably handcuffed the team with Jonathan's deal, then walked away after? I don't know. A couple good moves to leave the team in the state he is doesn't speak to me. His time here was any major success. Couldn't keep room for developing players. Lost Valamaki, lost Mackey. He's got as much bad as he does good in his time here. Um This says, I just want to say the only reason Gaudreau is a failure by Tree Living is because he didn't get a return for him. I get they were in first place in the Pacific at the deadline. At the same time, if anyone thought the Flames were going to win the Cup last year, they were delusional. Great team, lots of points, but come on, that team was never a contender. Anybody with hockey knowledge and no bias would know that. Uh, This says... Tree drafted quite well. His problem was he liked to trade picks away for now moves. It didn't work. They only had three picks last year. That comes from Mick. Um, This says, uh, so many in the media seem to still praise Brad, but after nine years, the Flames are still middle, while several other teams that had been middlers to bad teams have turned things around and become contenders, or at least consistently in the playoffs in half of Brad's tenure. Sure, he's a nice guy, but can we finally move on now? Well, we're definitely moving on. He's a GM of another team now, so we're definitely moving on in that respect. This is Maple Leafs talk. Yeah, you're li- I believe that's already branded. I believe Leafs Talk is on our sister uh, sister entity at 590 in Toronto. So I don't we're, believe we can call it. We're passing the that. torch. Exactly. Um, this says, my least favorite signing was Kachuk's bridge deal. Fully think he would have signed an eight-year deal back then. I don't. My belief is they w- could have gotten him to six, though. Uh, which yeah, my understanding is eight was never on the table. I think six they were okay with. Not six by seven. It would have had to be six by a whole lot more, but they, I think they could have gotten a six-year deal done. Uh, what else we got here at 960-960? I think the real question is how are the signings received at the time? I remember the nail deal being positively received at the time, much like the trade last offseason. The GM made the decision with the info he had available at the time, and very few of his decisions were criticized at the time. Uh, this says at 960-960, um, I see the contracts that Brad signed with players that they drafted, players that were under team control, as being totally upside down and the wrong way around. Brad, you're uh, squeezing players that were under team control like math. You could, uh, you didn't need to do that. Uh, so that's, and, and I do know there has been that criticism in the past before as well. Um, this says, for the most part, anytime Brad swung, most everyone was also excited. Brad also didn't bail on his albatross contracts. He showed everyone how shrewd he was with contracts as well as in trades. I loved him in news conferences. That comes from Andrew. 
this reads, happy for Brad. He represented the city and team well, but in terms of a GM, he made the playoffs four times in nine years and didn't have any playoff success. His job was to build a contender, and they were far from it. Also let too many core players walk away for basically nothing. Uh, this from Tyler and Boness, the willingness to make big moves, yet he wasn't willing to make a big move and sign Kachuk to a long-term deal. Instead, did a bridge and lost him in the long run. Loved everything else the man did and brought to the table, but that one stings for me as a Flames fan watching Matthew play for the Cup this uh, this summer. Um, this says, I'm happy for Tree. I'll be more happy when he helps the team by trading Nylander for Hannafin. That comes from Dan. There you go at 960-960. And now everybody's talking about the, well, now he's got to trade with the Flames. Conroy and, and Tree are definitely going to make moves now. That's That was the first step that you saw on Twitter from a lot of people. I can absolutely understand how Nylander would fit a lot of what the Flames will be shopping for this summer. I don't know if there's a deal there, mm-hmm. but could make some sense. Yep. Uh, so there you go. Brad True Living. Some good text in there. Good stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, and he is now the 18th general manager in Toronto Maple Leafs history. Wes, uh, plug your ears because uh, Friday's show uh, <laughs> is coming at you from Speargrass. If you're a live listener, uh, our schedule a little bit different on Friday. We'll be on from noon till 2 with Logan and yours truly. We'll do a sports net today, then an hour of Flames Talk from Speargrass, just southeast of Calgary, from noon till 2 on Friday. Join us there, and we'll be telling you about the golf and dine they do every Friday starting at 1. They've got a brand newly opened event center at the course, and uh, look, you just cannot beat the value at Speargrass. I know that Wes knows that. If you're looking for value when it comes to your overall 18 holes, cart included in every price, some of the different theme nights they have, a lot of them include dinner after your round. You're just not going to find a better golfing experience for the value than you're going to get at our friends at Speargrass. Looking forward to being out there on Friday. That 17th hole is one of the very cool ones in Calgary and area. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a really neat way to finish off your round at Speargrass. Yeah, absolutely. And and make sure your game is tight by the time you get to that point because there's not a lot of fairway. Nope. That's why I just make sure I just throw my ball. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it ain't going to stay on, so I'm just going to throw it down. I'll take a couple penalty strokes. Hey, there's no sense lifting all those weights if you're not going to chuck a couple golf balls out exactly. there. Uh, Speargrass is Calgary's most friendly and relaxed golf experience. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Lots of Flames nuggets to dive into. A little rapid fire as this hour continues on a Wednesday. Pat and Wes along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Uh, got another update on the coaching search on this Wednesday. This from the latest 32 Thoughts podcast. It dropped on Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts with a little bit more kind of a 
you know, a little bit of an advancer on where things are in Calgary's coaching search. It sounds to me like Mark Savard of the Windsor Spitfires has already interviewed there. Mm, you've been on top of that one. Yeah, I would imagine that there's there's probably been a few as well. What's what's the latest from Calgary? I think they just started. You know, Brunette's off the board. Yep. Uh, he was a guy there. It's going to be interesting. I think they want to give a long look to their internal people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I still wonder about Tangay, the internal guys. I think we need to get through the week and see kind of where we are here before we we really know and, and see what they call the list to. I hear it's a big list. So that is Elliot and Jeff. Latest 32 Thoughts is available for you wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Savard is, is a name that I like. Whether, whether he's the right hire or not, those are the type of hires that I... If they're not going to go internal, those are the type of hires that I really like for this conversation. Uh, so whether it's a guy like Savard or Alex Tange, who we mentioned again in there, maybe some other names that we haven't mentioned. Uh, but I, I, that's, a, that's a really interesting one. It would be a bold move to bring in a guy with one year of coaching experience. But it was a good year as he coached the Windsor Spitfires all the way to the OHL Championship. But um, Savard's a really interesting one to me, and that would be... I like I like the fact that his name is is very prominently in there because it's um it's a different way of looking at things for the Flames. It's a different type of pool that they'd be swimming in if they went in that uh, in that direction. Yeah, both Mark Savarda and Alex Tongay and the type of offensive minded, creative players they were make fascinating coaching candidates. For me, for a team that has sort of had the shackles on offensively for the past few seasons. Just the fact that that those are the type of guys that they're considering. And and I'm not sure that either of them, Mark Savard or, or Alex Tongay, as they go through the interview process, are going to prove to have enough coaching and head coaching experience for the Flames liking. But I, I think they're both really intriguing candidates. And, and I played... You'll never believe this, but I played golf last night with a few of my buddies and we were talking about coaching candidates. And and this is what I said about Alex Tongay is knowing what I know about him, the conversations I've had with him. He is a guy for me that could absolutely blow you away in an interview. I think that he is the type of guy and there's probably a bunch of them out there. I don't know them all. He is the type of guy that you could leave that interview room and think, Jeez, I think that's I think that's, that's him. Yeah. I think that's the guy, and that's why he is probably the most fascinating external name on the list for me. I, I do think Mitch Love and Ryan Huska might sort of be clubhouse leaders at this point, and yet I expect this process to go very much like the general manager search in that we know we have a couple of strong candidates in house. But we want to talk to a bunch of people and see where that gets us. Uh, what do we think about Andrew Burnett's name being off the board now? I thought he would have been a nice fit as well. And its uh, I, I think it's a, an interesting hire for Nashville. It's specifically interesting that Barry Trotz is the guy who hires Burnett. And Trotz has coached his three teams a very specific way. And, and it's not like they've all been identical in the way he wants them to play, but by and large, there's been a very, it's, it's been a very 
defensively oriented brand of hockey, a, a brand of hockey that is all about being passive and, and locking and trapping it up. And that's been very much a Barry Trot staple in Nashville and even carried over. Not as much so to Washington where he won a cup because he had more offensive weapons and then went uh, kind of back to that when he was the head coach of the Islanders. But I, it's interesting that he's talking about Burnett being an offensive mind, and, and that's one of the main reasons they hired him. Just interesting that that's Barry Trott saying those things. But I, I, I thought, I think Burnett will be a decent fit there, and I would have thought he would have been a nice fit here. It's too bad that he's off the board for Calgary. I, I know there, there's been scuttlebutt for months that John Hines was going to lose his job in Nashville. But the way he had that band of no-names playing down the stretch of the season, the fact that those guys were hanging around the playoffs, I I quite frankly didn't see even the first part of yesterday's news coming. Yeah. And, and good on them to go. I think Andrew Brunette is a guy who should have piqued the interest of every single team looking for a head coach. I think he absolutely should have been on the radar in Calgary. I think Columbus should have been looking at him. I think the Anaheim Ducks should have been looking at him. So good on the Nashville Predators to kind of jump the queue there. Yeah. I think that's a really good hire. Yeah. And then uh I, I did want to um I did want to close the program uh and close the hour with this. Um so Stanley Cup final starts on Saturday. Could you start it a little quicker? It's Wednesday. You're going to go Monday to Saturday without games, really? Uh, but no, the Stanley Cup final starts Saturday in Las Vegas. It'll be Vegas and Florida, as we know. And there's been a lot of talk about how disappointing this season was for the Calgary Flames. And as the year went along, different talks that you and I would have or that Aaron Vickers and I would have or talking with Pike or even talking with Sarah Valley or different guests, you're like, well, you know, could this year just be a write-off year for the Flames? Is it just a bad year? And they bounce back like the Winnipeg Jets have bounced back this year. And while I think there was that that was a nice example for about two-thirds of a season, then the Jets went completely off the rails and all of the issues that plagued them prior to Rick Bonus taking over started to rear their ugly heads again. And he had Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler and all the things that were talked about about the Jets prior to Bonus coming in and they ended up getting their doors blown off by just barely sneaking into the final playoff spot and, and Vegas ran over them. So it's not so much Winnipeg that I'm like, well, could they not be Winnipeg next year? I wonder if Vegas isn't more the cautionary tale or the thing, if you're the flames that maybe you can hope to do again, I'm not talking about going to the Stanley cup final so much, but the flames were the top team in the Pacific division last season. And then this year, all kinds of personnel changes. Things went off the rails. The message absolutely got tuned out from the head coach. And it was just a miserable, miserable year. Well, they're going to have a fresh new head coach for next season. They have a fresh general manager. There will be a couple of personnel changes. And you just wonder if a team that everybody thought had a lot of potential coming into this year, much like Vegas we all thought they had a ton of potential coming into last year. Well, Vegas missed the playoffs last year for the only time in their franchise's history, and they've bounced back in a big way. So again, it's not so much that, oh, the Flames, you should expect them to go to the Stanley Cup final next year, but it's more, could the Flames not bounce back in a way 
that because there's a fresh voice and because there some of the negativity from this past year and the frustrations from this past year aren't there anymore, I wonder if Vegas is a better thing to strive towards in terms of the type of bounce back that the Flames could have for next season. It, it certainly shows if you hesitate to tinker too much with a group that just really overachieved what you're hoping for, what the rebound best case scenario could look like. I think it's important to note that the Flames don't have the forward talent of the Vegas Golden Knights. They don't have Jack Eichel and Mark Stone would be the best forward on the Flames roster. Both of them. That's two guys that they don't have a you guy. Put, you put Stone ahead of Lindholm? I would, okay. personally, okay. yeah. That's fair. Uh, I read something, though, in The Athletic today, uh, sort of Stanley Cup final predictions column, and one of the points made about the Vegas Golden Knights was they have probably the best one through six defense in the league or in the playoffs that their five, six are really, really strong. And that's somewhere that I think the flames can sort of aspire to. If they bring back the six and I'm including Oliver Shillington in that, that we think they're going to bring back. And certainly you can make a case for trading one of those guys for some forward help, but that's where I, I see them being able to emulate Vegas as being a team that really can be built from that back end forward. Interesting. And I'm not saying that, that means they have to be a, a cup finalist next year. I just, we thought the Flames had certain potential coming into this year, even with Gaudreau and, and Kachuk gone. They failed miserably to live up to those expectations, but with some fresh approaches and fresh voices and fresh eyes, I just wonder if maybe they can be closer to their potential next year. We'll see. Um, quickly, got anything? No, I was just going to nod in agreement. Thank you. That makes great radio, hey? <laughs> You can't really even hear the nod. I'm getting good at this. Uh, Wes Gilbertson is on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. Our producers this hour have been Taylor Dingman and Cameron Hughes. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour, which has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.